0: Hi,
1: Trish. Hi,
0: guys. Hi. We're joined today uh, by Trish Adams, and we're going to get to talking about um, your career experiences and some of your uh, time as a professional human across um, mostly corporate environments, um, uh, as far as I know about your career. And the series that we're uh, dedicating this topic to is self-advocacy. And in particular, the hypothesis is that self-advocacy is actually the uh, unlock to engagement and we have talked a lot about with other guests that employers spend a significant amount of money and a significant amount of energy on engagement and that sooner or later the most qualified candidate the best leader um, if folks aren't engaged it's not going to go and so when it comes to self-advocacy how much uh, are the moments, those incremental micro decisions where you decide to not push for something that you wanted because it made you uncomfortable and that was too much to overcome? Or um, moments when you haven't even maybe recognized that there was an opportunity to self-advocate until you were older, maybe had some perspective in hindsight. So um, we're looking forward to talking to you about it. Do you want to just introduce yourself a little bit? And
1: Sure. Yeah. Um, I'm Trish, and I've been in retailing up until last year when I retired for about 40 years. So my first job I started was like 14, but I've always, always worked retail, which is probably I would not recommend in this day and age to be (laughs) that committed to one thing. But um, I loved it, and I started young, and it ended after 34 years at Target last year. So I've had an amazing career. I loved it. Uh, but I also knew when it was uh, time not to do it anymore. So, just one of the things I want to talk to
0: Trish about yeah. is we have the benefit of we have not had a guest who is sort of at the point in the career that you're at and retiring, and um, the moment to to opt out and say I'm done on your own terms. I think is an important part of um, self advocacy. Mm-hmm. Um, so I knew you. I'm going to ask a question about um, you know how you create the conditions for others to self advocate first in your role as a leader. I've I knew you as one of the only female leaders um, in a large corporation. And it was uh, among um, the other women, we knew the handful of women who were sort of at the top. Um, and you were regarded as a, as a really good, strong leaders. And I am guessing that means that folks felt like they could knock on your door and ask for career opportunities or push for themselves. So. I'm wondering if you can give us some stories about maybe how you have created those conditions or tried to as a leader
1: yeah um, that was very important to me um, as a leader and when i think back and starting my career um, while uh, there were a few women there were not a lot of women and it was very very hard at that point in time ninth, early 1980s um, to kind of have like a personal development conversation with leaders I mean it was a very structured environment as I think um, most of corporate America was at that time and um, it was very um, tops down and so one of the things that became important to me was um, to be to treat others the way I had hoped to be treated mm-hmm. and what I realized um, in doing that is um, you will have to treat all of your DRs and all of the people around you like people first in order to get them to trust you. So how do you engage with them, not only on a professional level, but on um, a personal level? And that doesn't need trading you know, personal secrets, but it does um, require acknowledging that there is a life outside of work. So you do have to ask a lot of questions and you have to um, listen. Um, pretty intently because not everyone is going to trust at the same degree of intimacy as as someone else. So you have to get, I think, um, pretty good at being aware and perceptive, right, of who's really coming forward um, very easily and others who are really struggling with coming forward, right? So as the leader, you would try to help facilitate that conversation, you know, a little bit more.
0: When you recognized um, maybe someone with a lot of potential wasn't coming forward, um, did you have certain you know methods or approaches that you would try to um, encourage them to do that?
1: Usually, I would just try to ask them what was preventing them from coming forward so you know one of the interesting things about reviews and we have a culture at at target that was very status what we would call status driven and so it was always your opportunity to discuss what was happening in the business Mm -hmm. um and you would try really hard to also find some time to just check in with the person not always
2: just as a human
1: yes not always accomplished because it was quite a hectic place but i think when you would find someone over a period an extended period of time struggling with coming when you knew something just wasn't exactly right, I think you would have to kind of flip that status agenda, so to speak, or you would have to flip that time Mm -hmm. to starting with the personal versus starting with the business. And um, very often when someone who has been a very high performer all of a sudden is kind of taking on a a little bit of a different demeanor, historically it's proven that there's something personal usually going on. you know. And they don't have to share, but I think knowing – Having them know that you know that it's okay and that if you need something, you need to come and ask um, provides a lot of comfort for, for people. Um, reputations are developed over a long period of time. And so, you know, you mentioned, you know, people would say, you know, you could trust her or whatever. I'm sure that wasn't true when I was 30 and starting out with all my DRs, right? Like as a leader, you practice and you make mistakes. But if you believe in the idea of what it takes to be a really good leader, then you just kind of keep at it. And what I loved about some of my direct reports is when I would try to do some of those things, I wasn't always successful, right? And sometimes they would say, you're not giving me enough time or you're not asking me the right question or you're going too far with your questions. I mean, it takes a dialogue and you have to be willing to have the, you know, make the effort to have the dialogue, you have to be able to listen. And I do think both sides have to be able to um, openly receive and give constructive feedback, because that's where the trust is really developed.
2: Did you model your leadership style on someone else? Did someone do that for you, or were you going on instinct?
1: I'd say, quite honestly, a little bit of both. Um, I was very lucky that I've, in 34 years at Target, and even prior to that, believe it or not, I, I, I can probably say I had two or three bosses that really weren't what I would have hoped for. And all of the rest of them, um, really pretty fantastic. And so this topic of self-advocacy, I think, perhaps starts off with, you know, can you develop a rapport first with your, your leader? Right then that rapport kind of falls into a relationship right and then that relationship blossoms into something that um, enables you to come forward more openly and um, and they in turn are able to be more open with you as well so it kind of you know comes full circle yeah quite often um, but I I was very lucky and as particularly as a woman I did not have a lot of women bosses mm-hmm. so at that point age of corporate America, um, really fantastic that men went out of their way. Um, and it was not easy, you know, sometimes the conversations, you know, you could tell that they were a little hesitant to have them, but they had them, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I really, really appreciate that. So yes, it's partially instinct. As I mentioned, I always tried to lead with how would I want it to go if I was sitting, you know, in that chair, but I I was, I was very lucky.
0: Yeah, are there, so you obviously had, um, you know, the trajectory of your career was uh, obviously fast and high. Were there moments uh, as you look back now, particularly as as you now are a retired person, that seem more critical to you than others, sort of big lefts or right in the self-advocacy?
1: Well, it's interesting. Um, I don't know that I ever really thought about um, self-advocacy when I was young. Mm -hmm. I think I believed in, like, doing a good job, um, getting my work done, um, being collaborative. Um, I really liked working with other people. So things just kind of flowed um, pretty organically. Mm -hmm. It wasn't until things weren't moving quickly that you had to start thinking about, like, well, why is that? You know, why is someone else getting that job that you might think, I could have done that job, right? Um, And so the first time I had to have that conversation, that really was not easy. And that took um, a lot of soul searching to have it because up until that point, I was always surprised because someone came in and said, you're getting promoted tomorrow. Yeah. You you know, like you hardly ever had to interview for a job because someone just literally came in and said, here's sign.
0: Yeah, the HR uh, puppet masters mm-hmm. would descend. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things we're trying to do is to give the listeners sort of um, methods from our from our guests, right? And so can I ask you to go back to that moment and you said it was really hard. Like, did you practice by yourself? Like, if that's on a Tuesday, sort of how did you work up, I'm going to do this even though I'm really uncomfortable or scared? Yeah, or
1: I definitely did practice. Yeah. Um, not so much in front of a mirror, but close, you know. writing my thoughts down and really thinking it through at that time my direct boss was very supportive of me and i knew that and i knew that he was advocating to his boss for me um how did you know that uh he told me and i also just knew i watched him do it right so you know he i might not have had the visibility of when he was doing it for me but I watched him do it for other people, so I inherently trusted that, that he was doing that. Like he told me he was, and I believed him, based on, you know, his reputation and what I saw firsthand. So I called his boss up and asked to go to lunch. And you know, I knew him and um, interacted with him, I wouldn't say on a regular basis, but enough where he knew me. And we, you, know, went to lunch, and I just, um, at the end said, "You know, I just want to share." Um, that I have aspirations for doing other things besides the job that I have today. And one of the jobs that I thought would have been super interesting for me based on my background was this particular r- mm-hmm. role. And it was, a, um, we don't have these titles anymore at Target, but it was an MP director role. And um, you know, he looked me right in the eye and he said, your name did come up, but it's not your turn.
2: What does
1: that mean? So, so I said, what does lie. that mean? I'm going to cut. <laughs> what does that mean? Do I need a number? And he said, um, sometimes, you know, there'll be three or four candidates, and you mentioned this before, the puppet masters <laughs> behind the scenes. Um, you will get there, and you need to trust that you will get there and that we will advocate for you to get there. But this time, it's, it's not yours. How did you feel? Um, Disappointed, absolutely. Um, Not incredibly discouraged because he was so positive, but I didn't like this feeling because I think that was probably I was starting to be awakened to the idea that there is this corporate HR machine and people are doing all this planning, you know, kind of behind the scenes. I was probably a little naive to the extent that that you know, really goes yeah, on. Yeah. Um, but then when I stepped back and thought about it, here's an example. I, I as I mentioned, I had opportunities to be with him, you know, in market, in vendor meetings, traveling to stores, and I never took the opportunity to ever talk about me or what I wanted. Yeah. Every opportunity I had with him, I talked about the business, what I was working on in the business what my team was working on, in the business, and in hindsight, advocating for like my team members, right, and explaining what they were doing, mm-hmm. not really with the same degree of color that I explained what I was doing. Yeah, you know. And so I think when you talk about having a reputation as a leader and being there for your team members, um, that is critical but it's also critical to be there and advocating for yourself because in the end, it does affect the business. You know, so whether you're advocating for a promotion or more money, most often in corporate America, you're advocating for what you need to get the work done. Mm-hmm. You know, so if you're responsible for delivering you know, a business plan or, you know, or a strategy, um, you have to get out there and advocate for what you need to get that work done.
2: So did you find I was listening to some, to um a report recently where they did some research about what happens when a man advocates for a, on behalf of a a woman in in that environment versus when a woman advocates for another woman. And the man uh, the in this research I don't know how many different companies that they talked to but they the man tended to be perceived as being um a champion of diversity and you know a hero for his uh, behavior for advocating for this woman and the the women tend to not be seen that way at all. did you ever find i think I think one of the other uh, thing that you mentioned in there is advocating for your team. I think women have a a tendency to do that more where they'll say this this wasn't just me that accomplished this this was my whole team and they'll they'll make sure that their whole team gets credit um for the work so did you find gender struggles there
1: yeah and I think it's always individuals right mm-hmm. um so I don't want to sound so incredibly stereotypical sure. here but generally speaking I think women lead with team and others yeah and then they will explain their role after they've highlighted the work of others. Yep. And more often than not, men lead with what they led and accomplished, and how the team helped them. Mm-hmm. So they ultimately get to the recognition. At least most of the men I worked with were um, honest enough to not take full credit. But I just think it's the order in which so what
2: they lead with. What
1: they lead with. Mm-hmm. And perhaps there are times that women should lead with themselves.
2: Yeah. It's hard to decide. Because I, I, know, I know men who struggle sure, just as much and actually never talk about, advocate for, for the work they've done or try to take right. credit. And it's a struggle. So how have you decided when and how to talk about mm,
1: your work? You know, it's interesting. Um, I often say to people that it's very important that you know yourself. And not to say that your life and your aspirations are not dynamic, they evolve over time. And mm-hmm. you might have a path set out for yourself and you zigzag you know, along that path. But I do believe you have to know yourself first in order to be an effective self-advocator. Because there are times when people will come in and the conversation will be about the money or it'll be about the job. It's never really about the why. And I think you have to have a why. Mm
0: -hmm. yes.
1: And so, I always encourage people to think through, like, what and why are you thinking about this? And I think when you are close to having those answers, then I think you should go ahead and advocate.
2: Do you have an example?
1: Oh, boy. well, here's, here's kind of a famous one, a very general one. A lot of people will come in and, you know, it's review time and their first question will be, you know, how does my raise and my bonus compare to everyone else? Right? And
2: I've uh, never had anyone ask me that. Oh, <laughs> my goodness. Oh, I'm, oh,
1: by the way, I'm over here <laughs> nodding going,
0: yes, that's the first thing. Um, Is that a target thing? It, um, gosh, you know what? I'm going to go on a limb and say no. I think... Um, a, a review structure in any company that incentivizes um, sort of there's this invisible ladder, yep. Right, um, knowing where you are, where where am I in the map? Okay. Um, particularly with we me. this puppet master, <laughs> you know, um, yeah. and there's a lack of transparency t- to pay and growth um, that, but absolutely that's the first question is where am i against
1: my yeah. peers and so you know i'm never one to um you know tell people what someone else is making i, I just don't think it's that's right Michael. but i do <laughs> yes yeah, besides that right besides ethically it's not being right um but yet yeah, people ask the question so I, I would spend an, an amount of time. There is a rhyme and a reason for why people are paid what they are paid. There are pay ranges and there are Experience performance criteria, mm-hmm. and um, outcomes and deliverables. And you, know, you can ultimately explain it. You can ultimately explain it. And then they kind of go, okay, I get that. But that still doesn't explain to me where I am against these other people. And... I just would find that personally, I would get a little frustrated by that because in the end, I I think there has to be a uh, line in the sand for you, right? Like, do I like my job? Do I like the people I work with? Do I think I'm fairly paid? Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Do I see the potential that there is for me? Is someone helping me develop? Like, I think there should be like a list of criteria that are important to you. And if they're all no, well, that's a problem. You probably shouldn't work there. Right. right? Yeah. Um, but if most of them are yes, then then I think you just have to think through why is the money piece so important, or why you know. Very often it wasn't. It was money, or it was title. Mm-hmm. Someone would literally come into me and go, "I know I'm well paid, but I want to be an officer. You know, I don't want a different job." <laughs> I don't need a different paycheck. I just want a title. So they so let's just let's
0: presume that they've gone through their checklist and they come out and they've decided the perception of X Y or Z matters to them. Mm -hmm. Um, How do you? And they've done the work. Mm -hmm. They're probably uncomfortable in their body. They're probably sweating. They're probably nervous, right? And that's their ask, right? How do you, when you disagree in particular, how do you, you had your, you gave an example
1: of your own turndown, right? So how do you? Well, I would say that um, there's a couple of different paths here. There are some people who are exceptional at the role that they are in and they probably should not be an officer of the company. And that's a hard conversation to have with someone, Mm -hmm. um, but you have to have it. Mm -hmm. sometimes you believe that person might be able to get there but they have to prove to myself and to some others often to some others sometimes they've proven to me but then it's about getting that next level of sign on yeah and so that's where that constructive feedback really comes in right like this is what still needs to be further developed what are we doing to work on that i can help you but what are you know you doing i can't do all the work for someone like know they have to so I think being clear on what those behaviors and capabilities and abilities are that are required of an officer are important because I think people think the title is one thing they are not really seeing what's behind the curtain of what it's really going to take yeah to have that type of responsibility at a large public company
0: can we I want to um shift and talk a little bit about your decision to retire sure um you know um long career arc i i'm curious when how far in advance did you start to say i think i want to and sort of plot that out or were you one morning i'm guessing it wasn't one morning um you know and then i, I would say to fit that back into self advocacy like they feel symmetrical to me right like we've talked about sometimes self advocacy is saying you know knocking on the door and asking for something and sometimes it's actually saying no or creating some other um plan so i'm fascinated about, about the retirement aspect
1: yeah so um it was kind of a combination of things i have i always had a rule to, in my head and that was uh, i was very lucky to really love my job and love the company and whatever and i and i loved it for Forever, I mean, it was just a great place to be, and it still was a great place to be, but it was also changing a lot, and I wasn't um, loving it as much as I had for thirty, you know, plus years. But I felt felt an enormous responsibility to. We were in the midst of a big transition, a leadership transition. Big transformation going on within the merchandising organization. So I felt um, that my skills were needed and valued and that I would kind of stick with it. Do you know what I mean? And um, get uh, help pay it forward, I guess, maybe is a way of thinking about it, you know, for others and for the company. And um, when the leadership team finally got all settled and we wound up hiring, you know, some people from the outside. And all the little slots were all full. Then it was like the perfect opportunity for me to just say, "Okay, I, I don't need to be the one that's helping the transition anymore because the actual new leaders are here to do that." So it was just, you know, perfect timing. Um, I still love the brand. I love the company. Had those leaders, if those openings were still there, I'd probably still be working there. Yeah. But the fact that all the you know the pl- the holes got plugged was it was an enormous relief for me and I could just go okay like this is the perfect time and um about 2 to 3 years prior to me retiring again another different type of transition right but um I had a lot of like brand new leaders who were leading functional areas that you know that had all just become senior vice presidents and they weren't ready to be um, you know fully functional in their mm-hmm. role yet so part of it is you have a responsibility to the business and the financials and your team and helping all of that kind of transition and make sense. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Congrats. Yes. I,
2: congrats. I, I have a, a question. You said something earlier that, <clears throat> that um, I thought was really interesting. You said you never really thought of it as self-advocacy. So we have a lot of listeners who will be listening for things they can go try and go do at work the next day. And I think it's really important to uh, become self-aware in whether or not you're <laughs> just going with the flow and letting things happen to you or if you're really taking advantage of all of the, the opportunities that could be there. And, and to, to not continue to go through work not thinking of self-advocacy not to go on and to work and you know be like give me everything I'm here I I woke up I I realized (laughs) but what is a what is a piece of advice you would give to someone to go take to work tomorrow and and think a little bit differently about owning their experience
1: Uh, I wish someone had told me that like from the day I started (laughs) So I hope people who are starting their careers or who are in the middle of their careers pretend it's a new day and someone's giving you instructions. Yeah, and tell you to you know you know be ethical, be trustworthy, be a leader, but also be a self advocate. Yeah, like it should be like a requirement, like that's on a checklist. Because I think the more engaged you are with yourself, the more engaged you can be with others, and the more engaged you can be with the work. Mm -hmm. And it's like a little trifecta, you know? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Me, myself, others, right? Right. Um, And whatever, different levels, right? But um, (laughs) I don't know, like it's, when I started, it just wasn't really thought of. And people who did it organically super impressive right you would just sit back and go wow that's
2: how did they do that how did they do that how did they even think of that yeah
1: you know (laughs) but you brought up a good point earlier you asked me you know was someone modeling Mm -hmm. that and i think when when you are getting constructive feedback from someone you know mentor peer doesn't matter um some of the best advice that i think people give is helping you identify what you might need to work on or what you're lacking And one of the best things I think is like finding the person that you admire that has that skill or has that trait Mm -hmm. because you, and and that you are around kind of often because you can watch them. They don't even have to know you're watching them. Sure. Right. But um, you can pick up a lot of clues. And once you start feeling comfortable with, oh, look, that's how they do it, then you can start to individualize it to you and your personality. Mm Mm-hmm and say, I might not have said that, but I could say this, because these words might actually come out of Trish Adams' mouth. Right. I think that's really important,
2: and I, I, think, I think you could um, watch them and learn from them and what they do, but it's not always the whole story. As you said yourself, you'll go into the room and ask for the thing, but it took you a while to get there, so yeah. I think that if people do that and they really watch watch that person who Who appears as if by magic to do it, and they say, What work did you do to get to that moment where you advocated for yourself? I think they will, I think that's where we start to tear down uh, some of the assumptions that we make Mm -hmm. about whether, you know, this person can and this person cannot. And that's just how it is. It's this person practiced and this person did not.
1: Yeah. I also find that um, writing it down yeah um makes it more permanent for me like it becomes like a to-do list
0: totally <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know versus just thinking about it so I think whether you're writing it down for yourself to, until you're ready, yep but then writing it down like you you know if you have to go into that status with your boss um that it's on the agenda mm-hmm. like you know today I want to talk to you about can't really ignore it when it's on. You know, the sheet of paper. You got to do it. You have to do it. Whereas, if you never write it down, or you know, if you have super casual statuses and you never bring an agenda, it's so easy to never get to the topic. Sure, because you're not holding yourself accountable, right? Right. Right? So you publish it. You know, many organizations you have to send your agenda in advance.
2: Oh. You
1: know, we we didn't have to do that at Target, right? And I didn't work for anybody that made me do that. But some, you know, some people do do that, and. Many companies have gone super casual now, right? Where there aren't formal statuses, there aren't even formal reviews. Mm-hmm. So how do you hold yourself accountable in an environment where it's very easy to just kind of stay in the background? Mm-hmm. And um, one of the things that I would recommend there would be is to actually you know, set up the lunch or set up the status via an email or a phone message or, or even you know catching that person in the hallway and make yourself state... The reason for the lunch,
2: mm-hmm.
1: not I want to catch up. I have something specific I would like yeah. to discuss, yeah. and you need to be ready for the something specific. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I we used to have a. I don't even know if this is true anymore. So it's been gone, but you know, back in the day, there was kind of a terminology at Target about this coffee culture. Like people would advise you go have coffee with whoever, mm-hmm. yeah. right? And so you know, your assistant would take the phone message or whatever, and put it on your calendar, and then you'd go to coffee with this person. And they would never ever say why they set up the coffee. You know, what can I help? You know, as a leader, what can I help you with? Well, you know, Janie told me that you're a good person to know, and you know, you could help with some career advice and whatever. But they would never get to what. The topic was even after they had gone through all the steps all the steps That's frustrating. you know and when you get to a certain leadership position and you're looking at your calendar every day and there's like 20 coffees in a week you kind of lose your patience after a while yeah. right so i finally got to the point was i will be your mentor you have to be prepared like it's a working session it's not a coffee yeah
0: yeah. it's such a good advice to name it it sounds simple but it's, it's such a commitment device I think it's going to be more important than ever in the years ahead as business environments and review moments particularly in corporate and hierarchical environments get flatter it actually puts more onus on purpose I know this is the design of the whole thing it puts more onus on yep. the individual yep. to actually drive the bus mm-hmm. um, you know it's in there's sort of nowhere to hide um, Anymore, and <laughs> you used to be able to hide within structure or the HR puppet masters, which you know even at Target are they don't work in the same way anymore. Yeah. The machine does not spit out your your next
1: role.
2: That's not really a sustainable model, right? No, it's, it's no. probably another
1: podcast. Mm-hmm. It's it's dead. <laughs> yeah. But I but I do think uh, I love your point about the flatter organization um, that. Requires not only the leader but the team member to really have a different way of thinking about their work and their career.
0: So true. We were just we're discussing with um uh, with a business owner, and the contrast between someone that is, um, you know, in that kind of environment working with a small team, and they are they are, um, you know, there's nowhere to hide in terms of hierarchy. And self advocacy to a large um, sort of um, behemoth, slow moving, sometimes corporation is. But the constant is that you have to be able to name it. Name it. And know yourself. That has come up with every guest. Yeah. Self awareness.
2: Okay. So I'm gonna bring us into the lightning round. Sure. It's not as scary as it sounds. Okay. We're going to ask three questions, and we're just looking for instinct, quick responses. I mean, you can answer for as long as you want, but you have to start answering right away. (laughs) Does that make sense? Yes. We've had people answer for like five minutes. Um, So here's the first scenario. We just want to know how you'd respond. You're asked to take on more responsibility, but with no title or compensation change.
1: Yes, I would probably do that. Okay. And I would do it particularly if it was aligned to things that I had already discussed were of interest to me. Okay. If it was a total out of left field, it would still probably be a yes, but I would want to go back and reconcile... How do I add value in doing that? And what can I expect,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know, in return?
2: So you would help in the moment and then find yes. out what, what to gain?
1: Yeah, I think um, generally speaking, people are asking you for a reason. The reason might be personal development. It might be business need. It might be a combination of both. But I don't think people generally do it to harm the person or to take advantage of the person. So I'd say yes before I would say no. And I would only get to know if for some random reason it was like, you know, setting me up to fail and I had no interest in doing it and there was not going to be some sort of value at the end. Sure, good
2: answer. Second question. You're asked to work a lot extra to mentor somebody who isn't on your team who isn't meeting expectations.
1: That's a yes. That's, um, and for me, that's a yes because I love doing that. So um, I get a lot of satisfaction, you know, so I become more engaged (laughs) because I'm helping someone and teaching someone versus, you know, less engaged. But that's a personal motivator to me for someone who doesn't enjoy that aspect they might
2: maybe not the best yes. maybe not the best
1: yes
2: (laughs) okay last question you find out you're getting paid way less than someone newer who has less experience
1: i've done that and it's hard to have that conversation Mm -hmm. and you have to be ready for the answer that can come so answers that come are, well, don't you want the best talent on the team so you know the company can be more successful? Or it can be, you're right. Let me go look at that, mm-hmm. and you come back and next paycheck it's different. <laughs> <laughs> I've had both. Wow. Right. So there's definitely an advantage to asking because the answer can only be no. Right. But you have to be prepared for the no. But what's the best that could happen? Correct. I think people tend to think about the worst that could happen Mm -hmm. versus the best that could happen. Mm -hmm. That's so true. And then you get psyched out. Totally psyched out and worked up. Mm -hmm. Right? Versus going back, we talked about this earlier. I might deserve more money, but can I live with the money? Do I still feel okay about the money? Because I love the work, I love the business. Mm-hmm. I love the people. like, you know, And then there's times when it's no, like that's too big a gap, and we have to work, you know work something figure out. It out.
0: yeah good. Well, thank you, Trish. This has been really interesting.
1: Yeah, this was great. Thank yeah, you for well, joining me. Well, us. thank you for having me. I really appreciate your the invitation.
0: Yeah. great Thanks for listening to the Professional Humans podcast. We'd love it if you'd follow us on Twitter at ProHumans. You can always reach us at our website, www.prohumans.com. And we'll post show notes and links for each episode there, and you can listen to our past episodes. If you like the podcast, subscribe to it and get future episodes on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, we'd love to get your ideas and feedback, so drop us a note at ProHumansPodcast at gmail or talk to us on Twitter. Thanks again, and we'll talk to you next time.